So welcome to another conversation here with um, with me, John Simmons at the University of Kansas. And I have the great pleasure to talk with um, Professor Olga Pombo from the University of Lisbon. Um, this discussion is brought to you on the MANA platform, the Saudi platform for culture and philosophy. And it's part of a continuing series of what we're calling contemporary philosophy, global conversations. It's a great pleasure to, to welcome Professor Pombo, who is one of, one of my personal models for what it means oh, to, wow. be a, to be a philosopher. Um, Professor Pombo has had a distinguished career. She's a scholar of Leibniz. She is maybe the leading thinker on the history of the idea of the encyclopedia. So enlightenment thinking, very broadly construed. Um, she's a, obviously a leader in the history and philosophy of science um, and was the founder of the Center for Philosophy of Science in the University of Lisbon in the early 2000s. Um, when I think of Olga's work, I think of the entanglement between the history of the recent history of Portugal after the revolution through the tumultuous changes in the 80s and 90s to, to today when Portugal is sort of thoroughly integrated into, into uh, the global economy and the wider world. Um, but of course it was a very different world when, when Professor Pombo was first, um, first starting out as a philosopher. Um, Maybe you could tell us a little bit about um, how teaching philosophy has changed. I know, for example, that you started out, there wasn't really a place for you as a philosopher and as a woman philosopher in Portugal. And you found yourself teaching in the Faculty of Sciences, uh, teaching philosophy of education to physicists and chemists and, and engineers. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about how you found, how you built this space in Portugal for very serious internationally recognized um, philosophy of science. What was it like in the, in the early days? <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank you, John, for, for inviting me for this talk. I'm very, I'm very happy for oh, it's a great talking pleasure. To, for talking with you. Well, uh, let's go back to the to the to that time. I was um, I belonged to a generation, not only me, but a full generation of uh, young people in love with philosophy, and we tried uh, after the revolution. We tried to to develop philosophy that uh, it was uh, before it was a little bit uh, forgotten somehow, some way in some way, but then. Uh, became a very important topic. We had the help of uh, very important people like Fernando Gil, but uh, we, we began uh, studying seriously philosophy in a master. Uh, me and other people of my generation, we belonged to the first master course that it was created in Portugal for studying philosophy after your graduation. There was no master 
and no, no, no possibility of going further. But then in that moment, we had the first master, and I belonged to that first master. And the, uh, the colleagues that were in the, with me in that, mo in that moment, they, are, they all have performed very important uh, positions in philosophy, and they have done very good work. In what concerns me, I did my dissertation on Leibniz. Uh, it was very funny because uh, when I finished my dissertation, it was written in Portuguese. So it was uh, the destiny of that work was probably to, to enter in a, in a book in the library of the university and to get there absolutely quiet, nobody would read. But the fact is that uh, one day, uh, a great scholar of Leibniz came to Portugal. And uh, I, I was surprised when I saw that he was speaking in Portuguese because he was Brazilian. Ah. It was Marcelo Dascal, maybe you uh -huh. know him. Yes. And so he was Portuguese, he was speaking in Portuguese. I have just finished my dissertation in, in Leibniz. And I went to him and said, well, I know everything you wrote but everything in English. I didn't know you were, you were a Brazilian speaker, but I have finished my dissertation in Latin. And he, he asked me, so send me your dissertation. And it was very interesting because he read my dissertation and, he was, uh, he, and then he, 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 he said, to, he wrote me, telling me, inviting me to publish it in, 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 in Germany. So that was my... my my first moment of confrontation with a great thinker. And I think this is very important. You cannot, in my point of view, you cannot make philosophy if you don't have one great thinker of, uh, uh, with whom you, you feel completely, um, completely inside. You feel you have to, to belong to this, uh, to this universe. So you tell us... So what is it about Leibniz that, uh, that drew you to his thinking? Oh, maybe, you could, maybe you could tell us a little bit about who Leibniz was and what drew oh, you to Leibniz, his thought. Leibniz was a, a, one of the huge philosophers of all times. And uh, he, he was not only a philosopher in, on what we today consider to be a philosopher, but he was also an historian, he, uh, he was also a politician, he was also a theologist very important theologist. He was also a mathematician. He was also a, a geographer, so an archivist, a librarian man. So he was uh, uh, maybe the last universal reason, the last universal the man that was able, in his, mom, in his lifetime, he was able to know everything, what was happening in the, in the, in the intellectual life. That today is completely impossible. But yes. he was, yeah, but he was able in that moment. He was still able. And he, he left an enormous work uh, with the, the divided in several, several topics and so on. So I began with Leibniz and mostly with the question of symbolism, of language and symbolism. And that's what my, my book, uh, that was uh, uh, some success in the international community because it was written in English. Uh, and it could be read for, for, by, by, people, by people who studied Leibniz, and the, it was my, my, I never left Leibniz. Even today, I read Leibniz, I taught, I teach Leibniz to my students. I, 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 I find, I always found, I'm able to find in Leibniz 
some secret voice that helps me to think, helps me to put the problems in a specific way. And that, and that uh, and inspires my, all my life has been inspired by, by Leibniz. Even when I, I studied other authors, Leibniz was always there as a, as a, a huge universe. I think that one, something that a philosopher do is to create, when it is a great philosopher, is to create a universe. A universe of meaning with you enter in it, you enter, you have to enter somehow. And once inside, you, be, you, you are able to see things in another point of view. And that is very important. Yeah, that's a very Leibnizian uh, view right, of yeah, a philosopher, yeah, right? That yeah, you're creating yeah, a kind yeah. of a monadic uh, yeah, picture yeah, of the universe. I think, I think yeah, so. I, and yeah. I think that each philosopher is a kind of a monad, even if, even if, even if there are talks among them, because uh, talks and absolutely necessary to have controversy, talks, uh, discussion, everything. But uh, there is a meaning, a, a, a universe of meaning. That is very important. And so uh, all my life I studied Leibniz and uh, uh, this was the moment when I began. Then I went to the, the Faculty of Sciences. Surprisingly, I didn't went, enter in the Department of Philosophy, but I entered in the, in the Faculty of Sciences to teach philosophy of education. And then I began, I began um, working I could not uh, taught uh, directly Leibniz to my students in philosophy of education. So I went to Rousseau, to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. That was some, some, a guy that I, was, I was loved very much too. So I worked a lot on Rousseau. And then I went to Plato, because mm -hmm. I, I believe that the, um, uh, Plato is, the contact with Plato is also very, very important. So, in a specific moment, I have these three great giants on my back. Plato, Rousseau, and Leibniz. Very different. Very, very different thinkers. Very different very thinkers. Different. So, so in some sense, you were almost secretly teaching philosophy in yeah, the yeah. Faculty of yeah. Science at yeah. uh, University yeah. of Lisbon. I remember, I remember one day, one colleague told me, but why don't you teach something more actual, more modern, more contemporary. And I say, no, I began with Rousseau and then I went back to Plato. And if possible, I would go back too. Because I, I think that time with philosophy is, uh, is not the, 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 the most important uh, thing. Uh, a philosophy, one philosophy, one philosopher can have 2,000 years and 50 uh, years ago, can live there, can be very antique, and still is alive. Uh, uh, so, I, and I believe that the, if you enter philosophy by the, the, most, uh, the most classic philosophers, you touch the, as if it was a, a source, you touch the very source, you touch the freshness of the, of the, of the birth of something new that it was philosophy in that moment. So you, you, you attend uh, the spectacle of uh, the, the, the exuberance of the beginning, of the very beginning, where the problems are still there, but formulated in, the, in a different way. So you, have to, you need to have the capacity to take these problems 
to take them and to reformulate in a way that it is adequate to what happens in your time. Right. But it is, it is very, very surprising to see that the problems with, 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 with which we deal today, they are almost stay there. They are there. But even with a, an old formulation, in, the, in its context, in the, in the context is different, but the, the problem, philosophical problem, I think it's the, it's the same. And the, that's what I try to do with, the, for instance, with Plato, with my students. We were speaking about the, the birth of science, the origin of science, the origin of philosophy, the origin of school, because, you know, those several uh, activities, human activities, science, philosophy, it only exists if, it's, if there is school. If there was no school, one generation could not give to the other. Uh, and the, that is the, the fantastic work of the Greeks. They have invented not only science, mathematics fundamentally, not only philosophy, well, the great Greek philosophers, but they have invented school. And uh, they have invented a place where people could discuss and could teach and could, in a way, could, uh, trans uh, could make possible to the young people to enter in, the, in the, what the old people have said Great. and what they have, they have given you. Yeah, Olga, I think it's, uh, it's extraordinarily important to, to, to put it that way, to, to show that you know, your reliance on the tradition, on these sort of core figures in the history of philosophy is really part of a commitment to the education of the young and to, to the, the capacity or creating the capacity for young people to enter into that conversation so it's not tradition for its own sake or sort of antiquarianism, but it's a kind of commitment to the ongoing task of philosophy. Yeah, of course, of course. yeah. and I think one of the things that that's been um, really important in your in your work has been your way of integrating, let's say, reflections on contemporary science and interdisciplinarity with your deep scholarship into the history of the idea of the encyclopedia, let's say. So I'd be curious to hear how you've spoken very generally about your relationship to the tradition. But here's a case where, for example, we are told that we live in a period of um, big data, interdisciplinarity, etc., and that um, we're all, well, we're all encouraged to work in interdisciplinary ways, both you and I love doing that, but why would we look back to, let's say, the tradition of the French uh, encyclopedia in the, in the 18th century to help us understand interdisciplinarity in the 21st century? I know you yeah. have something to say about that. So Yeah, thank you. I, I entered the, the topic of encyclopedia through Leibniz, because in Leibniz there are this uh, a lot of work on, on unity of science. And unity of science can be, uh, can be approached by, by several perspectives. And one of the perspectives is the idea of encyclopedia, that it was the one defended by Leibniz and much, much later by Neurath. 
so, and I, 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 my first interest was very uh, strict interest in unity of science. Because when being in the faculty of science, I had to, to do some work concerned with sciences. And so <laughs> I, choose, I choose the topic of unity of science, which is a very relevant topic in a faculty of science. Because in a faculty of science, you have departments, the department of mathematics, the department of physics, and, and the, the, knowledge, the knowledge is divided in several departments. But there is this hope for unity. And in that moment, in the, in the scholarship in that moment, there was a great disbelief about unity. Unity right. was a, an, antique, an antique idea, idealistic idea of people who really are not interested in doing perf uh, good performances. But it, unity of science tells us that science is not only about performance. Science is about understanding the world. When you and say so, performance, sorry, Olga, this might be a linguistic I mean, issue. I mean, application, I mean, application, okay. results, results, and, science, yeah. results. and mm -hmm. science is not only that. Science is also a way of, uh, of understanding each day better and better the world in which we live. Yeah. And, but, and so every discipline, all disciplines are necessary for creating this, this bigger understanding of the world this yeah. progress of the world. And I do believe in that. I do believe, I deeply believe in the, in the progress of knowledge that can be uh, obtained by the collaboration of several of the old disciplines of, of the spectrum in, in, the, in this task of understanding. So uh, encyclopedia was one of the modalities of this uh, unity of science ideal. I studied I studied all the, the, the history of, uh, of unity of science, not only since uh, the 18th century. I went to the medieval times and I, I studied Isidoro de Sevilla. Uh, I studied a lot of others uh, in, the, in the Baroque, the Baroque encyclopedies, and then the 18th century. And it was fascinating to see that uh, uh, along these uh, several centuries, the several, the, the transformation of that idea of unity of science, uh, the very idea of, of science was, uh, the, uh, was transformed. And the idea of discipline was also different. Mm. Um, at the, at the, for instance, for Descartes, you have a tree, the tree of the, of the disciplines. Uh, the, the science is a tree with many, many branches. And each discipline um, uh, pursues the, the knowledge in one branch, but they are all connected in the trunk by their roots, by the same roots. This image of science is going to be changed by Diderot. By Diderot, it, in some way, I believe that Diderot took the, 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 uh, the, the tree of Descartes that it was uh, erected vertically in the, the distributing their, their branches and put it in the horizontal. And mm -hmm. then he created a kind of, a, not a tree anymore, but a, a schedule, a, a, a table, right. a table. And the disciplines could irradiate in another way. Interesting. Could, could, could be created in, a, in, the inter, in the intervals, in the margins, in the not, not, disciplines are not created by bifurcation of the first, you see, 
There is not one main, one main trunk who divides. No, there is these disciplines that began to create a net. So I was from, from, inter, from encyclopedia, I began interested in the internet. In the right, internet. right. Because, because the, the, the model, if I can just, uh, what I'm hearing you say, is that the model is not so much a sort of a, a story of family tree, yeah. from Diderot, yeah. or sorry, from Descartes, no. but in Diderot you get something more like a network, more like so Diderot's. Get, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I wouldn't say it is a network, not okay. yet, but it not is yet. a, a, a the uh, the, it, it is a, a medium figure between the, the, the tree and the net. I see. And it's very interesting. And for instance, he's very concerned, Diderot is very concerned with the links. He speaks about links. We say yes. links as a very interesting thing, and we believe it is quite new. It is not new. In Diderot, you have, he speaks about renvoi, and the renvoi, it's a French word that you cannot, you cannot, you have to translate by link. So he always says that it is necessary to establish renvoi between the very, the several subjects. Entries. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you are in a, in a medium position, intermediate position between the three conception of knowledge in which that you have uh, the roots, the trunk, and the, the disciplines like that, in the, in between that and the net we have today. So right. it, it is not an, inti- and, uh, uh, again, philosophy does not give you uh, a vision of the antique uh, ideas. It gives you a vision of one possibility that you can explore to understand your own time. And right. I found this exactly in the idea of cyclopedia. Many times I speak of encyclopedia and people say, oh, she's speaking about something old. No, I'm, not, I'm speaking about something new, absolutely new, to understand what internet is. And we understand, for instance, that internet has one major problem because internet doesn't have a cartography, a general cartography. Mm-hmm. And you see, in Diderot, he was completely aware of that. He said, we need a system de savoir, we need a cartography in order to can to navigate. You cannot navigate if you don't have a map, if you don't have a kind of a map. And we, what we have today in the internet is a, a huge ocean with lots of possibilities, and somehow each one of us has to build his own map. Otherwise, he's mm. lost. But don't you think that um, when we deal with the internet today, the reality of our experience of the internet is mediation by search, right? So we always use Google to, to search yeah. or some other, some yeah. other method. Yeah, we use, and, we use Google because mm-hmm. Google gives you a map. Because right. Google has a map. You and don't notice, have a map. notice that the map is generated by, by popularity, right? So it's a ranking of page rank through links that are more or less popular. So yeah. that seems like a very un, uh, unscientific or unphilosophical yeah. way of organizing the map. So what yeah. would you think about that? No, I think that if you want to criticize, for instance, internet in some aspects, we cannot criticize internet because internet is a fantastic technology who gives us a lot. But if you want to be critical, and to be critical is very important in philosophy. You, if you want to be critical in what concerns the internet, it is necessary that you understand why are you going to be critical? What are your, your arguments? And if you know, for instance, the history from encyclopedia, 
you can be much more aware of what is missing in 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 internet or you can even say to to make a map on basis of the popularity is not probably the best way there are others and so you have to give other other hypotheses and where are you going to find these hypotheses you find them in the draw Tell me, tell me what some of those alternative hypotheses are for mapping the cartography of the internet. Oh, in, in the case of Diderot, it was to, to build uh, the map of knowledge, the system of the knowledges. Now it is very difficult, but because it is difficult, we are not to get, to get away. If it is difficult, we have to put our intelligence towards it, no? And uh, uh, somehow... It's not, it's not easy to, to do, but it's uh, necessary to, to pursue uh, a system where uh, the totality would have a, a shape. I see. I know, I know that nowadays nobody believes in totality. I know that. But the totality is, uh, I believe, a very important category for, for thinking. Uh, if you have a lot of fragments, you need to put them somewhere. Where are you going? How are you going to organize them? You always need a criteria. You always need a hole in which the, the very several, several fragments can be somehow uh, organized. For instance, a student to learn something. You go to the internet. You receive a lot of information, a lot of information, but you need to organize it. How are you going to organize it? If you don't organize it, you do not learn. You just get informed, but you don't get knowledge. Knowledge is connection, is interconnection. And for that, you need to organize this, the parts. Am right. I being clear? Very good, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's quite clear. Um, if we think then about the role of education, the role of education today would be to provide students with the capacity to make those kinds of judgments, to be yeah. able to yeah. critically yeah. evaluate what they find on the internet and, uh, yeah. and to organize it in a principled way. Yeah. And one, one, thing that, one thing that, that strikes me about your work generally is you're simultaneously very sensitive to contemporary problems, like these problems around the nature of interdisciplinarity, the nature of knowledge on the internet. You've, you've written a great deal about these questions, but you're, so you're very sort of connected to contemporary questions, but at the same time, you're a traditionalist in some very deep ways. Yeah. So unlike many of your contemporaries in the history and philosophy of science, you never embraced a kind of radical rejection of scientific progress or a kind of postmodern conception of truth, etc. Instead, you you've um, you've you've stayed very close to the tradition, to the to the to the to the, to the history of philosophy as a kind of a nourishing yeah. um, source. Um, and that's something I've I've really valued about knowing you and knowing your work. Um, and I hope um, one one thing that I I I, I ask uh, my guests on on these conversations is is for their hope for the future of philosophy, 
Um, and when you think about, let's say, young people who might be watching, watching this, um, thinking about the importance of philosophical questions in the philosophical life, um, what, are, what are your hopes for them? What, what do you hope for the future of philosophy? I think I, I may be optimistic. As I, it's not by chance that I am a Leibnizian because I am very optimistic. And even if I am uh, old, I believe that uh, philosophy will go on um, interesting young people. And maybe more today than, than some years ago because uh, we now have uh, uh, this uh, future that has a lot of... Uh, problems faced to us, the, for instance, the environment problems and so on. We are surrounded by, by problems. And the, uh, all these problems um, ask, uh, ask, uh, demand uh, um, uh, a critical view from the, the, the people who, who tries to, to face them, to face them. Uh, the propaganda, the, the ideology may be very big, but you, you need to think by your own mind. And that is very important. And philosophy is, uh, is concerned with that. It helps you to, to, to think not only in one way, but in several ways. Uh, to see the same phenomena from other points of view. And I, I think it's very important. And I believe that the young generations will be much, much more interested in philosophy than, than the, the previous ones. Very good, very good. I hope you're right. I see. I hope. I hope so. Uh, I, I I would advise young people to read one author, to read it deeply, and I even dare to 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 advise them to to read, for instance, Plato. Uh, it's impossible not to like Plato, not to be in love with Plato. Read read the Protagoras, the dialogue Protagoras, and you will see how humanity began to discuss, how humanity began not only to receive ideas, but to, to speak among equals uh, uh, and, uh, with, and to, to formulate arguments and to, to give counter-arguments. And that is very important. And you have that an example. Philosophy is born like that, like a huge discussion in an agora, in a place, in a, in, a, in a garden. Sometimes it was a garden. But people were there, and they came from all over the, the places in the city, from other cities, even from other cities, just for the pleasure of discussing, for their own minds, and to learn, to learn more and more. I think that the, one of the characteristics of the philosopher is the, the, the love for learning, the love for, for learning and understanding, and the, to be to be somehow, to be lucid, to understand what is happening. And uh, for that, we cannot go alone. We cannot go alone in that battle. We have to put ourselves in the shoulders of the, of the giants. Otherwise, we don't see much. You have to, to mount up to the San Bernardo de Chartres, in the, uh, an old uh, uh, religious man in the medieval ages, said that magnificent uh, statement. We have to put ourselves on the shoulders of the giants. Otherwise, we see not much. But if yes. we have the courage, it is necessary courage for doing philosophy. 
if you have the courage of mounting up, then you begin to have the pleasure of seeing. And that is one of the biggest pleasures you can have. It's one of the biggest. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Olga. I really appreciate you sharing with us. So thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.